God, we acknowledge and are grateful that um, we trust that you are trying to connect with us. Perhaps at every single moment of our lives, you're trying to deepen that connection of trust and knowledge and intimacy. And for the most part, we miss it. And we acknowledge the ways that you can speak to us through the stuff that you've created around us, and the birds and the trees and the seasons, through the relationships that we have with others, in silence and in chaos. We trust that we can find you when we seek. And we pray for Sam this morning. I pray that he would uh, feel at peace in sharing what he's going to share with us and that we would have ears to hear, I pray. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's funny, the front half of the room kind of cleared out, didn't they? You're all quite far away now. Um, just by show of hands, I will do some kind of intro based on what Dave did last week um, to kind of kick us off with Ecclesiastes. How many of you were here for the service last week. Oh, a good number. Well done. I was expecting less than that. Are you sure? <laughs> Not lying to me. Um, so um, let me just do a little recap then. I won't do too long. If you didn't catch it, it's really worth going back and, and um, watching the video from last week or very soon you'll be able to download the podcast from that week which we haven't quite sorted out yet. Um, but it was a fantastic introduction to this really, really fascinating book. Um, I feel like Ecclesiastes is one of those books in the Bible that we can often have quite a weird relationship with. Like it kind of sits there kind of along with the Song of Songs as kind of one of those books that we're not totally sure what to do with. Like you can go to some of the books of the Bible and find them quite easy to kind of engage with the story of or to, in, to engage with the kind of uh, the beauty of. Like, you know, Isaiah, there's all these amazing promises or, you know, you look at the stories of Jesus and there's just so much there that's very obviously love and very obviously, you know, you're like, I can see the heart of God all over this and it's wonderful. Um, and then there's these books that kind of stick out like a sore thumb that traditionally the church has had a bit of a strange relationship with. And Ecclesiastes is definitely one of those books because Ecclesiastes is kind of, it's kind of this person looking at life with this kind of refreshing but also pretty uncomfortable honesty of saying, okay, I've, I've heard what you're saying about the fact that it's good to live for God and it's, it's good to kind of invest in wisdom and kind of Ecclesiastes sits in this little body of wisdom literature in the Old Testament, which is uh, these few books and these other kind of writings and other books about how to live well in the world, how to live God's way in the world. And the kind of the mainstream of that wisdom literature, it, you could kind of take Proverbs, an example of this. The mainstream of that wisdom literature is basically simplified, looks like this. If you live well then the kind of the outcome of that will in some way be that your life is in some way well. And so you get kind of in Proverbs, there's a lot of stuff about, well, if you get up early and you sow your field, you're probably going to get a harvest. Whereas if you stay in bed all day and then you expect to go out into your, fi into your field um, when it's harvest time, 
you're unlikely to find very much useful there. Like, there's a logic to that, isn't there? There's a, there's a reason to that. It, it, likewise, in Proverbs, if you're generally kind to people, that probably will help life. And if you're generally horrible to everyone you meet, that will probably come back at you at some point. There's this kind of logic there. And that's a really good logic. There's some useful lessons there. But what the writer of Ecclesiastes is doing that, that, that makes this kind of awkward is he's looking at life and saying, but, but hang on a second, it doesn't, it doesn't work, does it? Like it, it certainly doesn't work consistently. Like you could live the best life that you could possibly live and be the kindest person and be the most generous and get up as early as you like in the morning and sow your field. You might still get a drought. Someone might come and steal all your crops. You might just get killed. Like, but equally, you can be a complete... And your life might go really well. And you might seem to be successful. And you might live a lot longer than the person that, that, that was really great. And so, you see, it kind of... Like, there's this disconnect between... I can see that there's a way of living wisely in the world. And how does life actually turn out? There's a kind of sense in which I've heard people describe Ecclesiastes as kind of anti-wisdom. And you kind, of, you kind of need this to hold the regular stuff in check. Too often in churches, I think, we kind of do this thing where we, where we want the kind of the idealized version um, of events. Or at least the, those of us who lead churches, that's what we want to kind of sell people. So like... Um, you know, a classic oversimplification is, well, you, you know, if someone's ill and you pray enough for them, then they'll get well, or you'll experience God's, you know, God's wellness or whatever that. And how many of us have prayed for someone and, and they haven't gotten better? Maybe they stay ill or they, you know, sometimes they even die on us. And it's really, it's kind of like, it's awful and it's sad, but also it's kind of, it's this jarring. It kind of messes with the cognitive disconnect that we can sometimes exist with, um, with our faith in the world. And Ecclesiastes is absolutely brutal at kind of unearthing that cognitive disconnect, ultimately to the point where you can act however you want. All of you are going to die. And your bodies will rot into the ground and something else will grow. I mean, that's quite beautiful, isn't it? But he doesn't actually go that far. He just says you're dying, your bodies will rot into the ground. And, and all the things that you've worked for, you'll leave them to someone else. Maybe they'll look after it. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll be a good person with the stuff that you leave them. Maybe they'll be an idiot. You're not really in control at all kind of completely undermines our ability to feel um, kind of in control um, at the world. And I just, like, I love that. <laughs> I really love it. And I hope, I hope that you do too. There's, there's kind of an un discomfort about it. But I think really the only way that you can find a way to a faith that's authentic in the world, to a way of living with God that's authentic in the world, is to kind of to begin by like admitting that powerlessness admitting that that we actually like that faith isn't i think dave described it last week or in a similar analogy to this like faith isn't a slot machine that you don't just kind of put in a coin of good behavior and get out a coin of prosperity coin i don't know why coins but like that's it doesn't just does that make sense there's this seeming randomness um 
in the world. And he kind of gets frustrated about a lot of different things, the writer of Ecclesiastes, like the fact that, that there's this kind of sense of history just repeating itself over and over. He says things basically under the sun. It's kind of his way of saying on the earth. I don't know whether we are under the sun or are we kind of next to it. I don't know. But under the sun, there's kind of this thing where things never change. You can work as hard as you like, but ultimately the cycle of people basically live and some people basically do all right and some people really struggle and some people die old and some people die young that just keeps on going and there's nothing you can do about it It uses this analogy like a river can flow as much as it likes into the sea it's not going to make a blind bit of difference to how full the sea is and like your life is a bit like that like you can do whatever you like but it's not going to make a difference there's just this cycle Another thing he gets really frustrated about is you can do whatever you like, but injustice will still be present in the world, in all the places where you think it shouldn't be in particular. Injustice will still be present. You can, like, he, he, he kind of, <laughs> there's even this really interesting moment, which, again, evangelicals generally have no idea what to do with, where Ecclesiastes just looks at the reality of our lives and the fact that we all die, and he's like, who can say if, if, the soul of a human goes up when it dies versus the soul of an animal going down. We don't know. Like there's this kind of mystery, this kind of futility, this kind of tragedy almost to the whole um, of life. And he kind of gets to the stage where he's kind of like, what, what's, even, what's even the point? kind of a good summary of this kind of way of thinking, because he does this the whole way through, and ultimately he, he uses this, this Hebrew word havel, which Dave talked about last week, kind of means vapor. It's ungraspable. It's uncontrollable, isn't it? If there's a vapor in the, in the kind of air, like water vapor, steam. Water vapor is different to steam, right? No? Okay, steam. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> Float it like, and it's kind of there in front of you. You can't, you can't grab it. You can't control it. You can sort of try and influence it a bit, but ultimately it's out of your grasp. It's out of your hands. He says this, Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to the skillful, but time and chance happen to them all. Thanks be to God. Like, there's ultimately, there's this, just you look at the world and it just looks, there's no logic, there's no justice. It's just this cycle of you live and you die. And then he says this, again, six times in the book, he comes back to this thing that he says, that I think the kind of crux of the book is on how this bit is kind of red, because he says six times, he says, you know, something along the lines of, you know, you're born naked, you die naked, someone's going to get your stuff, and there's nothing you can do about it. But this is what I've seen to be good. It's fitting to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun in the few days of the life God gives us, for this is our lot it's just good, you know, a lot of us know the phrase, eat and drink and be merry. And that's basically the, the kind of the summing up of Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes. Sorry, whoa. <laughs> Heresy. 
Um, but, okay, here's where there's kind of two divergent ways of reading this book. I listened to the audio Bible. Does anyone ever listen to the Bible on audio? Really, really dependent on the narrator. Like, if, you, if you're kind of a fan of Audible, you know that just as much as the author's intent, the importance is on whether the narrator is good or rubbish. Um, and the kind of, you know, the accent and the tone that they bring. And, you know, Melissa was listening to a set of books. Um, like, oh, you're there. Hello. Um, Melissa, when she's washing up, likes to listen to the, is it Robert Galbraith, those books? And there's these murder mysteries. I've not got into them yet. Um, but she was really, really, really angry in book three because the guy reading it is the same guy, but he changed the accent of one of the main characters from being a northern accent to just being like, you know, a proper accent. And um, that's her words, not mine. And um, I think eventually it got put back, right? But um, yeah, so it all got well in the world. But these, these things make a big difference. Anyway, that's not important. Um, I was re well, it's important to her. I, w I, was, re I was listening to the, to the book of Ecclesiastes read to me in the NIV version um, on my Bible app this week. Because I thought it's always good to know, to read the book that you're supposed to be preaching on. Um, and the guy reading it read it like this. Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. The race does not go to the swift, nor bread to the wise. Now, in other words, the whole book is then an angry rant, right? That's a way of reading Ecclesiastes. I was listening to another podcast by a guy called Pete Enns, who I, I respect a lot. He's probably a, a much better, definitely a much better scholar than me. But he reads the book of Ecclesiastes as well, kind of through that lens. Ecclesiastes is basically a nihilistic, angry, God, what the hell, basically, book. And then, likewise, Peter Enns would then come to this, eat and drink and find enjoyment in your toil, you'd read it like this. This is basically the only thing I found worth doing is eat your food, and drink your drink, and try and find some enjoyment in your toil. Do you know what I mean? That, that affects the tone of the book, doesn't it? I think, I mean, like I say, I'm not as good a scholar as Peter Enns, but I think this book isn't an angry rant. I think it's a teacher inviting us to something. And I think basically the heart of the book is much more of a kind of satirical comedy that's inviting us into a slightly different way to live and a slightly different way to be. In other words, I think it's saying, like the traditional view of wisdom, you could interpret that as there's a way to kind of beat life. And it's about always thinking about the future. So the way to beat life is to do the right things, to behave in the right ways, to get up early, to kind of, you know, to do all the right things, to try and behave right towards everyone. And then the kind of traditional view of wisdom would say, so then there's some kind of output to that that's most likely to increase your odds in the world of having a good time. And Ecclesiastes kind of tears that up. But I think what he's basically saying, what the message of Ecclesiastes basically is, are you ready for this? Is stop trying to beat life and start living it. Stop trying to kind of win and start being in the moment 
that you're in. There's something beautifully present tense about the invitation to eat and drink and find enjoyment in the work that you're doing right now. Like, there's a commonality there, isn't it? In another place, it's like, uh, like if, you're, if you're married, like, find enjoyment in that relationship. Like, be with the people that you're with. Friendship is a beautiful thing. Be with the people that you, you, you are with. There's a beautiful kind of present tenseness that's in the book of Ecclesiastes that I think kind of cuts through some of the, some of the problems that we bump into. If you just go all out on, I want to be wise, I want to solve life, I want to plant my crops, I want to get out something, I want to... Does that make sense? There's something beautifully countercultural. Blaise Pascal is an easy person to quote. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, I don't really know anything about Blaise Pascal when I came across this quote this week, so I thought I'd just kind of have a look at some of the other stuff that he said. Um, a lot of things that I've heard quoted are Blaise Pascal, as it turns out. He's the person who was like, you know, basically all the problems in the world would be solved if we were able to sit quietly in a room by ourselves for 15 minutes. And most of our dysfunction comes from our inability to do that. I love that principle. I think that's so true. Anyway, he said this. I'm going to quote this at length. Are you ready? We never keep to the present. We recall the past. We anticipate the future as if we found it too slow in coming and we're trying to hurry it up. Or we recall the past as if to stay, it's too rapid flight. We are so unwise that we wander about in times that do not belong to us and do not think of the only one that does. So vain that we dream of times that are not and blindly flee the only one that is. The fact is that the present usually hurts. We thrust it out of sight because it distresses us. And if we find it enjoyable, we are sorry to see it slip away. We try, and to, we try to give it the support of the future and think how we are going to arrange things over which we have no control for a time we can never be sure of reaching. Doesn't that just ring of Ecclesiastes? Let each of us examine his thoughts, their thoughts. They will find them wholly concerned with the past or the future. We almost never think of the present. And if we do think of it, it is only to see what light it throws on the plans for our future. The present is never our end. The past and the present are our means. The future alone our end. Thus, we never actually live, but hope to live. And since we are always planning how to be happy, it's inevitable that we should never be so. I find that just so on the money for my life. <laughs> like that in my worries about kind of trying to do things right, trying to get things right, trying to kind of make sure tomorrow's okay, to never think about today. I mean, the classic example that's probably true for most parents here is that the amount of time I spend with my kids worrying about work, like worrying about something that's not the thing that's in front of me that is the miracle of life happening right now, or reading, you know, reading a story for the nth time, or you know, trying to engage with this mind-numbing game that I don't really understand the parameters of <laughs> that might change any moment. Because really, actually, I'm somewhere else, and it takes a few, Daddy, Daddy, Daddies, 
to get my attention back. Now, that's not magically going to change in me now that I've read this and know this. But it's such a useful lesson, isn't it? Where are you in the present tense? And I think, I think the, the heart of Ecclesiastes, this is what I've seen to be good. It's fitting to eat and drink. When you're having a meal, enjoy it. When you're with friends, be present with your friends. When you're with your family, be with your family. When it's time to mourn, mourn. When it's time to laugh, laugh. Well, that brings us on nicely to Ecclesiastes 3, doesn't it? From that end, I think, I think Ecclesiastes 3 is then very, just flows really, really naturally. Again, there is a way of reading this passage for everything. There is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Some people would read this as, you know, there's just stuff that happens to you in life and there's nothing you can do about it. You've got to sow, you've got to reap, mourn, laugh. I think it's an invitation to really, really do these things. So I'm going to read it together. I'm going to, we're not going to read it together. I'm going to read it. And what I'd like you to do is, as I read these words, we, we tend to have a problem with, with things that we've heard a lot of times before. Maybe this is the one bit of Ecclesiastes that you've heard a lot of times before in a song, for example, um, or just read in churches or at funerals or whatever, is I want you to try and listen to these words right now. And as you listen, kind of notice the ways that these words poke you. Notice what seems comforting, what seems jarring. Notice where the words kind of chime with a joy in your life or with a pain in your life. Just kind of, just pay attention. Is that okay? So try and hear this as if you've never heard it before. And the teacher has just said, everyone dies. Yay. So eat and drink. And then to everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war 
and a time for peace. Again, I just want to hold the silence there for a moment. Which of those pairs, or which of those maybe one words or whatever, kind of sticks in your mind? Did any of them seem to be particularly comforting? Or particularly jarring? find yourself pushing against any any part of you that thrilled at one of the phrases there may be any of them that touched on a, a point of pain I mean, there's too much there to, to talk through in terms of like, hey, let's going to do a 14-point sermon now on every one of those pairings. Or really, it would be a 28-point sermon, wouldn't it? Because they're so different. Should we do that? Um, but there's a few things that I love, and, and these few things are kind of intertwined. So I'm going to kind of say them separately, but they're kind of all in there. And I've kind of struggled to kind of pick them apart into kind of different separate things to say, but that I think are really important um, about this beautiful kind of inspired moment of, of artistry that we've just read. The first is this is a really beautifully, radically inclusive list of things that happen in our life that we own and that we get to own. I love, I love that as a church, we want to we keep asking the question, how are we being inclusive? And, and who are the people who, who would find this space difficult or who'd find it hard to access? And, and to kind of keep taking down what's the next boundary that we want to take down and the next boundary we want to take down so that we kind of model in here something of the inclusivity of Christ that actually all of us are welcome around the table of Christ. The flip kind of thing to that or the, something else that's also true in that is that it's not only us that are welcome, and something I think this, this kind of passage does this, but, but actually the whole of our lives and experience in some way can find a home and a welcome in our story of faith. Now that's really awesome, isn't it? Because I, I think I kind of grew up, whether this was said explicitly, but there's certain parts of my life that are kind of welcome in the church and other parts that kind of feel a bit jarring. So having war in a list like this. Ah, I don't know what to do with that. It feels uncomfortable. Having a time to, you know, a time to embrace, but a time to refrain from embracing. What does that, what does that mean? That in some way, <laughs> some of the things that this list points to that are the hardest things in life, like death and loss and throwing away things. So what does that mean? And tearing stuff down and losing and war and hatred. That the, the faith or the life that Ecclesiastes, that this writer is pointing us towards, is a journey big enough to hold all of those things. I think that's incredibly beautiful. 
And I think there's a, there's a kind of a beautiful inclusivity here. It's not saying, well, maybe he is saying, but I'm not saying that that means that war is a great thing and that hating people is a great thing. There is stuff that is really, really hard and really heavy, and I don't understand it, and it's rubbish. But in some way, we get to bring the fullness of our experiences to this table thing that we do together. In some way, all of it is welcome. Um, one of the kind of people that I love is a guy called, I mean, he doesn't know that I love him, um, but he's a guy called Pordrig O'Tuma, and he's an Irish theologian, thinker, speaker, beautiful spirit. Um, and one of the things that, that he kind of talks about a lot in one of his books, he wrote, he wrote a book called In the Shelter, which if you haven't read it, read it. It's just a stunning work. And one of Pordrig's kind of things is to say hello. I know, radical. Um, but hello to, hello to each other, hello to myself, but also to kind of recognize, I guess it's kind of a practical practice of mindfulness thing, where he's like, oh, I feel anxious. Hello, anxiety. Oh, I feel angry. Hello, anger. I think that's the, like a very different way of practicing life than the one that I'm used to, where I'm like, oh, anger, push it down. Hide it. <laughs> Go rid. Anxiety, ooh, must pretend to be confident. <laughs> How's that going? Um, but, <laughs> but, um, but this thing of, oh, no, these are, in some way, these things that are difficult are just as much my companions on this journey as the things that seem easy. One of the things we see in the life of Jesus is this capacity for all of it for the joy and the mourning, M-O-U-R, for the, for the person who's on the top of their, you know, for the wedding and the funeral. Like, you don't see in the life of Jesus any kind of sense of, oh, that's, that's not really part of my bag. I can't be with you in that. But like Dave said last week, a beautiful thing, this beautiful message, is in some way God is with us in it all, and in some way we can be present in it all. So that, I hope that kind of makes sense. This is first kind of radical inclusivity of this list. Every part of your life, including the breakups, including the horrible bits, including the pains, including the relationship that is severed that you're worried might never get fixed again, including your anxiety about money and the bills this winter, include, like all of it in some way is welcome here. Does that make sense? That's number one. The second thing is that a lot of these things are kind of extremes. And I think my default way to live is to go to neither extreme, but to try and camp in the middle. For example, mourning and dancing. There's a time for mourning and a time for dancing. I think the way that I try and get through life is to basically never really give myself to either of those things. I don't really have a clue how to mourn. I don't know about you, but like this week, with obviously with the news of the Queen, the, the announcement was that we're moving into a time of national mourning. It kind of raised a question in my life, in my mind, like, I've got no idea what that, what does that mean? Like, none of us... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We've kind of lost the ability to, to really, does it mean that I post something on Facebook about the Queen? Like, does it mean that I, I, as I'm walking down the street, that I don't say hi to people? Because we're in mourning 
do I wear black? I do, I, like, I don't have a clue. And, and I think just as we have as a society, we kind of lost the ability to really know what it means to mourn or to know how to do that well. I, I, you know, like all that stuff. Well, equally, I don't really know how to give myself to joy or to dancing or to laughter or to, I feel like I try and kind of live in the middle. Dave gave me this book um, for my birthday because we saw K Tempest. In fact, another reason to go back and watch last week's is there was a great K Tempest uh, poem. But uh, they did a set at Greenbelt and it was absolutely flipping brilliant. Um, and they wrote this book called On Connection. I'm only a little bit of the way through it, but I can give you a hearty recommendation. Love it. Um, K Tempest talks about numbness. And I think that's close to what I think when I, read, when I read something of this list, is kind of this desire to do neither. They say this, Numbness is a logical response to the onslaught of the age. In order to be able to survive in it with any semblance of sanity, in order to be able to function or even to flourish, numbness is required. A numbness that is evident when commuting in rush hour, or walking through a busy shopping district, or a recently gentrified neighborhood, or kissing your partner while thinking of someone else, doing the numbing chores of a life at the end of a numbing day of doing whatever it is that you do to sustain your existence, the precarious numbness of drunkenness, of unfeeling sexual encounters, of cheap drugs or expensive drugs, a numbness that is permissive, distractive, that rewards itself with deeper and deeper numbness. The numbness of leaving the body and leaving the mind and leaving the room saying, life goes on, it is what it is, get over yourself, got to keep moving, got to get it done. Getting things done, always getting things done in a permanent state of mild or severe disassociation. Binge watch, binge drink, binge eat, oblivion. I know this numbness because it is my life. I have sought numbness. Over many years, I have thrown myself fully into the pursuit of getting numb, losing feeling, avoiding, instead of arriving in my experiences. And that really hit home for me, because I think, I, think I think I've learned to do that really well. Like, I haven't massively tried cheap or expensive drugs. But like that, that ability to kind of get through life without really, like I've got this thing, you, maybe you have this too, where you're watching a movie and it's really, really sad and you feel the crying begin to happen in your throat. Anyone know what that feels like? Come on. And you kind of push it back down because it's not cool to cry at movies. And like, I really want to learn to cry at movies. Do you know what I mean? I had this, um, like, there's a time for dancing. I had this weird thing um, about a year ago when I was in a wood by myself, um, as you are, and I don't think I was on a path, and I, was, I felt like, oh, there's all this feeling that I'm kind of refusing to feel, and it kind of needs to out of me, and I didn't quite know what to do with it, and I felt like what I needed to do was just to fling my body around I wouldn't say it would be called dancing, because I think that's maybe <laughs> a bit of a sacrilege to the art. But, um, but, but like this feeling of needing to move, of needing to express, of needing to feel. And I had this weird moment where I couldn't even bring myself to do that in my own company because I was too embarrassed. Like in a locked room, I'd be too embarrassed to move my body and express my feelings. 
Isn't that interesting? Like, I've so learned the art of numbing. And I think one of the things that Ecclesiastes is inviting us to do is to really feel. And it's a feeling that begins when you engage in the real honesty that the book is all about. Like, if you can really see life and you can really own what's going on, then you can allow yourself to in some way really feel. So that when you're mourning, mourn. When it's time for dancing, dance. When it's a time for laughing, flipping laugh. Laugh your head off. And when it's a time for weeping, don't hold back. Like, bring it on. What a full way to engage with life. Enough numbness. (laughs) And particularly in the church, enough peddling numbness as a kind of maturity. Those are two things. And the third one is this. How to learn to tell what season it is. As Dave was talking about earlier, we're beginning on this kind of thing of journeying with the literal seasons that are at work in the literal country that we live in, such as they are. They're all getting a bit weird, but hey, we're going to keep journeying with them anyway. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, like, like Dave's talked about, you know, we know that the days are going to get shorter and there'll be solstices and there'll be... Um, winter and it will be presumably a little bit colder, certainly a lot grayer um, than it has been recently. And as we kind of do that whole thing, we're going to feast together and we're going to eat together and we're going to learn to be present to the season that we're in. Now, a lot of that will be very self-explanatory. Like when it's cold, we'll be thinking about when it's dark more, maybe we'll be thinking about, well, how do you How do you look after, in fact, we will definitely be thinking about, how do you look after your mental health? How do you look after your physical health as the days get shorter and as time draws in? We're actually going to have a little series of evenings that I'm really, really looking forward to um, at the start of October where we think about the Enneagram and autumn and how, like, how our kind of, how this tool of the Enneagram, whether you know loads about it or nothing, um, can help us to navigate autumn in a way that's helpful to us. And the amazing Rachel Gale is going to help us think through that, which is mind-blowing. She's brilliant. Um, but So anyway, definitely do that. Um, but there's this kind of thing of going through the seasons and recognizing, like, kind of, well, what's the moment? But, but there's a flip thing that I kind of hope happens as we, as we do this journey together of feasting and acknowledging and being together through the seasons, which is I hope that we kind of... I hope that we become attuned not just to the changing of the weather seasons, though that's, that would be fine if that's all we did, but to the kind of what's the ask of this moment together? What's the kind of cultural moment season thing that we want to be responding to? Some of the things that stood out most to me on this list were like there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Those seem like, that's, that's fascinating to me. I'm like, oh, what, what is it the time for us, is it a time for us as a church to find silence? Or is it a time for us as a community of people to find a voice and to speak for something? Like a time to go to war on something. Do you know what, does that make sense? And I think that uh, what, one of the things that I really hope is that we'll kind of learn that together a little bit more like again as uh, we we don't want that just to be led from the front and in reality in the story of this church it, it rarely is just led from the front but like what what is the ask of this moment in history what's the what's the what's the season that we are being invited to be in in terms of what we 
get angry about and what we laugh about. <laughs> in terms of what we rise up against and what we, what we build and, and what we rip down. And kind of that, I, I, so I don't think that Ecclesia, I don't think it's just saying you, you can't do anything, so just, you know, just go with life and, you know, drown your sorrows in wine and stop worrying about it. But I think there's this invitation that comes with the present tense thing of do the task that is for you right now. Do what is asked of you right now. Let's do what is asked of us um, right now. Um, again, Dave mentioned earlier, I keep saying everything, every point I have started with has been Dave mentioned earlier. That's about right, isn't it? Yeah, he's keeping me in line. He actually went through the sermon. He was like, make sure you mention me a lot. Um, it's just Dave for you. Um, but about the, the, it, at the beginning of October, we're having this kind of creative evening. I hope, I reckon probably most of you could be there. <laughs> There's a couple of you I know couldn't. Um, I'm kidding. Um, but like this really kind of open thing of if you are in any way like poetic or movie or whatever, arty, blah, blah, blah. He did it better than me. Um, then come along to this evening, not because we're going to say, hey, here's the plan for the next few months, fall in line, arts people. But because there's something about art that leads the charge on kind of putting a finger on what the kind of moment is, what's going on, and what's the season, and, and what it's asking of us. And I think there's a beautiful thing that, that we get to engage in that all together. So, I think there's three kind of asks from this season's thing. The first is radical, not really asks, just things. Radical inclusivity, your whole flipping life all the confusing, knotty, messy, blah bits are just as welcome as the tidy bits in this story that we're doing together. There is a season for all of it. There is a place for all of it in this thing. Second, let's allow ourselves to feel. Let's be a people that break the mold of numbness and really go with it. If you're going to cry, flipping cry. And... And celebrate it. And then let be like, look, this person's crying. They're doing it. No, don't do that. But, um, but let's be a people who feel instead of being a people who try and who kind of play the numb game together. Oh, how are you doing? Fine. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to offload on everyone, but you know what I mean. And then thirdly, and I think this really ties into just the rhythms that we're going to be. Let's do this thing of working out what is the ask of now. If we're being called not just to think about the future, but to be in the moment that we're in, what is that moment? To some degree, it's going to be we're in the autumn. But it's also going to be we're in a period where we need to be something, where we need to be going at something, not because we're tied to the result, but because it seems like our thing to do right now. Just to come back again. We're going, to be, um, <laughs> we're going to be eating and drinking a lot over the next few months. Hallelujah. It's good. There's a verse for it. It's fine. And, um, and that togetherness and that open-heartedness is just so beautiful. <clears throat> Dave, last week, <laughs> there you go, that was the last time, I think. 
um, introduced us to a song by a guy called Ron Artis. And it's got these beautiful lyrics in it that you might find hard to pick up. Um, maybe you won't. I kind of needed to see them, but then I didn't produce them for you today. Um, but basically, the, the lyrics of this song are, there's something about when you're empty, that's when you're free. There's something about when you've, when you've let go, that's when you're at your best. There's something about when life is like the hardest, when it doesn't make any sense, where you can in some way fly and be free. And I think that's just so close to this book, to the thing of Ecclesiastes. In all the mess, in all the confusion, let's be and let's be together and let's hold this space for each other. So we're going to, um, in fact, what we're going to do, I'm going to read this passage one more time. And then seamlessly, Michelle's going to play the video of, the, of Ron Artis singing this song. Um, and then I'll leave it up to Dave or Al, which one of you gets the mic after that. They've decided. So let's just kind of take a moment. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace.